Well, the interesting thing about uh, the Easter story for Christians is the Easter story is a historical event, uh, an objective historical event, and, and it actually matters. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You see, faith for a Christian is not believing in something with an absence of evidence. Faith for a Christian is believing in something because of evidence, but going beyond it. Uh, faith in Hebrews 11 verse 1, if you look at the, the meaning of the Greek word behind it, actually means active trust. Now, I challenge you to trust anyone who you have no good evidence for trusting. Uh, that's how trust works. Trust works based on evidence. So what I want to do today is I want to uh, give you three reasons... Uh, why the resurrection matters and the first one if you can just uh, bear with me the first one if you're not into this stuff is apologetics and some of you go oh, that's good we'll come to church and a guy's going to apologize no it's not about that it's actually about apologetics is about giving a defense for the faith I want to read this this is uh, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 to 19 and this is my first point the resurrection matters because it actually happened. Uh, verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did, did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Get the point here from Paul is he just goes, this thing actually happened. And it's no good if it's just a spiritual reality. If it didn't happen, it doesn't count. And you're basically, I mean, at the start of today, I said, who loves Jesus? You know what? You are the most pitiful person, Paul's saying, if it didn't actually happen. Like it's just absolutely pitiful. Now you, you probably know people who like to have pity parties, you know, that sort of stuff. It's like you know, no one's coming to join them because no one likes to join anyone else in a pity party, right? It's always a solo party. Um, those people kind of drink alone uh, of the pity cup. Um, here's the thing. There is maximum amounts of pity due for you if Jesus actually didn't get raised from the dead. Now, I happen to believe that the resurrection is one of the most... Um, is one of the miracles, is the miracle, I think, in the Bible that has the most amount of evidence behind it, okay? And to be honest, I think if you can believe this and the evidence is there for this, everything else kind of falls into place, seriously. I mean, walking on water, that's easy, isn't it? If you're alive, the resurrection is about someone coming back from the dead uh, and doing something amazing. That's what Paul's saying here. Do you know what the disciples could have actually done? They could have actually claimed that Jesus spiritually rose from the dead, that his spirit came up and went somewhere and did something. They didn't do that. They actually maintained that he was actually physically, bodily risen from the dead, which is far harder to prove, right, if he didn't actually do that. True? You with me on that? Let me give you, uh, these are 12 broadly accepted uh, beliefs about what's actually true about the resurrection okay there's a really good youtube uh, um, discussion that you can go and watch and uh, these form the, the basis of the discussion it's between a guy called gary habermas who's got a phd he did his phd in the uh, the resurrection 
and uh, a guy called Anthony Flew, who until uh, about the mid to th- about 2005, somewhere around there, he was probably the foremost academic atheist in the world. So the two of them get on a stage and they actually talk about the resurrection. And Anthony Flew, who was an atheist at the time, he's now a deist, but I'm not going to go into that. He actually said at the end of this uh, at the end of this discussion that he agreed with 11 out of the 12 points that uh, Habermas actually made. Here they are. You probably can't see them, they're a little bit small, but uh, I'll fly through them really quick. The first one is that Jesus died as a result of the crucifixion. Jesus was buried. Uh, The third point is that his disciples doubted and despaired because Jesus' death challenged their hopes. Um, The fourth one, the tomb in which Jesus had been buried was discovered to be empty a few days later. The fifth one, the disciples had real experiences that they believed were actual appearances of the risen Jesus. Six, the disciples are transformed and willing to even die for the truth of the events. Seven, the resurrection message was the very center of preaching in the early church. Eight, the resurrection was proclaimed in Jerusalem where Jesus died and was buried. Nine, the Christian church was firmly established by these disciples. Ten, the, day, the primary day of worship was changed to Sunday, the day Jesus was raised. Eleven, James, Jesus' skeptical brother. I mean, seriously, if anyone here got a brother... Like if your brother said he was God, you'd probably be sceptical, wouldn't you? Just go, don't know about that. Well, James, Jesus' sceptical brother, was converted when he believed he saw the risen Jesus. And 12, Paul, previously a Christian opponent, was converted when he saw what he believed was the risen Jesus. Do you know what? Pretty much all of these 12 points are universally accepted. Okay? Now, there's going to be some people who are going to argue against some of them, but they're broadly recognised as actually being uh, a true account of the history. What's even more impressive, and you may not have noticed this, we're, we're spending some time today in 1 Corinthians 15, is this section here from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 to 7. For I delivered to you, this is Paul, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. You know what's really interesting? Anyone know who Cephas is here? It's Peter, right? Now, what's fascinating about this is this actually is a bit of a tip-off that this is a really, really early account of what actually happened. If it was a later account, Paul would have actually called him Peter. But he actually calls him Cephas. This is part of the evidence that this is a very early account. Then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Do you know what happened with uh, Paul? We actually know that Paul was converted about two years after Jesus died. And after he was converted, about three years after he was converted, uh, Galatians 1 verse 18 says, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. You know what Paul was doing in um, Jerusalem, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Jerusalem. You know what he was doing there? He was learning from Peter. That's what he was doing. You know what he was learning from Peter? He was learning this, amongst other things. Do you know, if you look at that, um, scholars actually say that that, that um, section there by Paul is very unlike all of Paul's other writings. And they say, I mean, you can even see some uh, mnemonic structures in there, some memory-type structures. You know what this was? This was a creed. This was an oral creed. Now, just have a think about that for a minute. This oral creed looks like it was taught to Paul 
inside five years, around about five years after Jesus died. That's amazing, isn't it? Because here's one thing that people are going to say, is they're just going to, ah, Jesus rose from the dead, it's just legend. Really? You don't get legend after five years about something that big, true? It's an amazing, amazing uh, reality. Now, Gary Habermas, in one of his books, he actually goes further than this and he quotes some scholars. And I just want to to read, uh, and it's probably going to be a little bit small for you, but I want to read uh, some of the things that Habermas says. The critical scholars agree on the date of this pre-Pauline creed. Even radical scholars like Jared, anyone know how to say that? Ludeman, does that sound good? Anyone German here? No, okay, so that must be right. Uh, think that the elements in the tradition are to be dated to the first two years after the crucifixion. Listen to that. This creed was kicking around. I mean, you, you, by and large, you've got an oral tradition where people would pass truth on orally. It's actually kicking around within two years of Jesus dying on the cross. No later than three years after the death of, death of Jesus. Similarly, Michael Goulder contends that Paul's testimony about the resurrection appearances goes back at least to what Paul was taught when he was converted a couple of years after the crucifixion. He goes on to say, an increasing number of exceptionally influential scholars have very recently concluded that at least the teaching of the resurrection and perhaps even the specific formulation of the pre-Pauline creedal tradition in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, dates to AD 30. When was Jesus killed? AD 30. You get this? So like right in the centre of where this story actually happened, you've got an oral creed that looks like it's actually been written like straight up then. Now, how easy would it be to disprove that if it didn't actually happen? Really easy, all right? You've probably got everyone who saw it still around. They can say, no, this is not actually true. In other words, Habermas goes on to say, in other words... There never was a time when the message of Jesus' resurrection was not an integral part of the early apostolic proclamation. No less a scholar than James D.G. Dunn even states regarding this crucial text, listen to this, this tradition, we can be entirely confident, was formulated as tradition within months of Jesus' death in Jerusalem where he was actually crucified and raised. So all you've got to do if you want to disprove this, is find the body and everyone would have known where the body was because it was, you know, in a well-known tomb. People knew where it it was and then just cart it through the streets of Jerusalem and it's done. But it didn't happen. You've actually got this story, this true story coming out uh, very, very early and there's no time for legend to develop. So, anyone, anyone here like Pauline Hanson? Yeah, okay, a couple there. Please explain. You remember that? Does anyone remember that? Okay, I've got a few please explains. If you want to say the, the resurrection's just a furphy, it's just made up. Here's your please explains. Here's the first one. Why, you've got to explain why the disciples maintained it was a physical resurrection rather than a spiritual one. Seriously, really easy to disprove if it didn't happen. Why would they go for the harder one unless it was true? Here's the second bit. Please explain why the gospel writers recorded that women found the tomb first. No insult intended here, but I'm just letting you know, by and large, women's testimony was not legal. Like you couldn't, women couldn't testify in court because they weren't deemed to be trustworthy. There's some men going, amen. That's true. But do you get that? 
why would you make up a story if by and large women's testimony wasn't accepted in court? Why would you make a story up where women find the thing first? Doesn't make any sense at all. Please explain why the Jewish leaders never claimed Jesus was dead in the tomb. They said his body was stolen. They acknowledged the fact that the tomb was empty. True? You've got to explain the empty tomb. And Anthony Flew knows he's got to explain the empty tomb too. You've got to explain how the story of the resurrection could be established in the same place that it happened when everyone would have known where the tomb was. Here's the thing. If you're going to make up a story and say it's true, the best place to make that story up is about three countries away, right? True? Especially in a place with no internet and no planes. You're going to go, this happened. This happened in Jerusalem. That's not what they did. What they did is they, this thing started in Jerusalem. Now, you don't start a lie in the place where everyone saw it happen if it was a lie. People have to explain that. You've got to explain how so many people can have a hallucination at the same time. Now, 500 people see Jesus at once. Is it true people have hallucinations? Yeah. Some of you may have had one. You may have... You may know someone who's had one. Check this out though. What is absolutely true is no one ever has the same hallucination at the same time. Fair enough? So if you've got 500 people saying they're seeing Jesus, that's not 500 hallucinations of seeing Jesus at the same time because we know that hallucinations aren't identical from one person to the next, yet the reports of the eyewitnesses were. You've got to explain why the Jews broke... Um, with all of their traditions and risk being damned to hell if they were making it up. They switched their worship from a Saturday to a Sunday. That's a huge change. They're gonna, there's some comeuppance coming for them. If they're wrong, why would they do that? And this one, what changed the disciples from grieving, cowering, fearful followers into bold, powerful proclaimers of the resurrection who died for what they believed? Listen, in my former life, I was a high school teacher. I got the opportunity to sit, on, sit in on numerous investigations that the principal was doing into uh, dodgy stuff that was happening in the school. Okay? And I'd sat in on situations where you knew the boys, for example, had gotten together before they were coming in and they'd agreed on the story that they were going to tell. All right? And you'd sit in there and the principal would never, ever talk to them in a group, always one by one. All right? Call the first one in. What actually happened? He starts putting a little bit of pressure on them. They start to crack a bit, pull in the next guy, send that guy, that guy back out, put a bit of pressure on him. He starts to crack a bit. He says a little bit and he goes, well, hang on, I need to talk to the other guy. We'll send that guy out. We'll bring the other guy back in. You know, this guy, this other guy just said this. Oh, uh, and it's like the story's starting to break up. You get my point? And they do. You get put under pressure and they do. Now, listen, what do you seriously reckon are the chances that 11 guys, obviously Judas um, took himself out, but what... Seriously, do you think are the chances of 11 guys staying tight on a totally fabricated thing until their death? Like none, right? Some of you might go, well, they're going to get famous. I'm just, fame is a really good thing when you're dead, isn't it? It's really useful. It's like being an artist, you know? You just get really rich when you're dead and it doesn't do you any good. I don't mean to be unkind to artists, but that tends to be the way that it rolls. Here's the thing, there's lots and lots of things to explain and what I want to suggest to you today, the most reasonable hypothesis about what actually happened is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Anyone with me on that? And it actually was a real, actual, real life, no pun intended, event. 
What's fascinating about 1 Corinthians 15 is, you know what's happening is there's some people going around and they're basically saying, listen, dead people don't rise. That's what they're saying. They're saying they don't come back to life. And this is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. And some of you, maybe you've switched off and you're going, I'm not in apologetics and evidence. Well, we're done with that bit. What we're getting on to now is what does it even matter anyway, the resurrection? Well, you know what? matters a whole lot matters for two reasons one reason is it matters because if it didn't happen it's a tragedy and Paul's going to tell you that in 1 Corinthians 15 the second reason it matters is because it has massive effects let's go for the first one it matters because tragedy awaits if it didn't what's Paul what Paul's doing here last Sunday morning I, I preached about what if Easter never happened well, you know what Paul's doing here is he's kind of saying, what if the resurrection never happened? And I wonder, maybe you can think about that a little bit now. You know, because I, I kind of, I was sitting down the other day and I was just thinking, what does it actually mean that the resurrection happened? I mean, it's happy and it's nice and it means we can celebrate on Sunday, but what, what does it mean? Well, listen, Paul gives you a few reasons why it would be a tragedy if the resurrection never happened. If these guys kicking around saying, people don't rise from the dead. And seriously, we live in a culture, don't we? A very scientific culture is just going, no, miracles don't happen, people don't rise from the dead. It's probably not, at that level, it's probably not that different. Well, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 on the screen there. You know, the first thing he says, he says, preaching is a complete waste of time. If Jesus didn't get raised from the dead, preaching is a waste of time. Now, that's not, not just what I'm doing. But it's actually telling people the gospel. It's actually telling them things and the truth about God. You know what? Every single time that you've ever told someone about Jesus is a complete waste of time if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That's what Paul's saying. Do you get that? Second thing. Paul actually says at the end of that first sentence there on the screen, not only is preaching a waste of time, but your faith's a waste of time. You know? If the resurrection didn't happen, we probably, I should just get up Sunday morning and just go, listen, guys, just go home. There's no point. There's no point to it. Just forget it. You know, I mean, if the resurrection didn't happen, there's, it doesn't make any sense at all that you'd be sitting in those chairs here. You might as well not be here. Third thing, Paul actually says here is he says, if the resurrection didn't happen, what we're actually saying is we're actually saying something about God that he didn't do and we're kind of giving him a bad reputation. We're kind of impugning God's character. The next thing that Paul says uh, there is he says, faith, if the resurrection didn't happen, people's faith is unable to produce any kind of useful result. Does anyone here ever believe that your faith is going to produce some kind of result and God's going to work on your behalf? Anyone in that? Yeah. See, you know what? Paul's saying, if the resurrection didn't happen, that's not true. You can't have any confidence at all that your faith, your trust in God is going to produce any useful result. And what about the one uh, about two-thirds of the way down? He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your what? Sins. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this. And you know what I've been thinking is this. I've just been going, well, isn't Good Friday about the forgiveness of sins? What, why, why am I still stuck in sins? If Jesus has died on the cross, why am I still stuck in sins if the resurrection doesn't happen? Well, you know what? 
Hebrews tells us, in the back end of Hebrews, it actually tells us that the tabernacle that God set up on the earth is a model of the tabernacle that's in heaven. And on the earth, or the temple on the earth, the tabernacle, people would take in the blood of bulls and goats to atone for sin, to actually deal with sin. It actually says in Hebrews that Jesus went in to the temple, the real temple, and took his own blood in. Now, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you know what that means? It either means that Jesus is a sinner because death won over him or it means his sacrifice wasn't good enough and it wasn't accepted. You with me? And you know what? You're stuck. You're stuck in crap. <laughs> I can put it that way. That's what it is. You're stuck in crap. He's got to rise. Otherwise, you're stuck in your crap. Number six. The next bit, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Anyone, know anyone here who's died that you've loved? You see, you know what Paul's saying? He's going, if the resurrection didn't happen, they're just gone. It's a classic thing at funerals, isn't it? It's like, God, we're going to meet them one day. And even when it's a, it's a, it's a classic story, my dad's uh, been a pastor my whole life. It's a classic story. Uh, the people that actually say we don't want to say anything about God we don't want anything mentioned about God at a funeral but when it all comes down to it they will start talking about the afterlife well you know what if the resurrection didn't happen there is no afterlife and you're not going to get to see him again that's it they've just they're fertilizer that's it that's where it ends and the last one number seven this is a, the seventh tragedy if the uh, resurrection didn't happen and it's one I mentioned earlier. Paul says at the end there, he says, if the resurrection didn't happen, Christians are the most pitiful people that exist. The most pitiful people that exist. Do you notice there, um, Paul says, uh, if in Christ we have hope in this life only. You know, what, you, know what those, you know what happened to the early church and Christians for the first 300 years? They got whacked for what they believed. They got taken out. And that makes complete sense. He's just kind of going, if we're only hoping in Christ and there's no other life and there's no resurrection and no one ever gets raised from the dead, we're the most pitiful, pathetic people. Well, listen, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and he actually wants to finish on a positive note and I want to finish on a positive note because it's a good day, right? And here it is. Uh, the resurrection matters because it has huge effects. Just, uh, just follow it with me as I read through if you can see that. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, some of you might go, hang on, he wasn't the first one that actually got raised from the dead. Well, you know what? He was the first one that got raised from the dead and didn't die again. Everyone else got raised from the dead and died again. And what Paul's actually saying is because Jesus was the first one that rose from the dead and isn't going to die again, here's all the benefits that are going to flow to you. This is like Wyvernhoe floodgates opening, right? It's like because he didn't die, the floodgates open and here's the stuff that is going to be a benefit to you. For as by a man came death, who was that man? Adam, right? Adam brought sin into the world and kind of trashed the place and we just joined in with it uh, as we had the opportunity. Uh, for as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. This is a beautiful sentence. For as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Is that a hallelujah there from anyone? Isn't that good? It's like, you know, one guy brought the virus and it killed everyone. But the infection of healing is stronger than the infection of death. Do you get that? That's what it is. It's like this one guy brought it all, but look out, there's a guy and he got raised from the dead and he's going to infect a whole bunch of people and bring life to people. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Won't that be a good day? Yeah, it's kind of been broken, right? But it's not done yet. Because unless Jesus comes back, at some, level, at some point in time, we're all going to be fertilizer, right? That's what's going to happen to all of us. But one day there's going to be a complete and utter end to death and that would be a good day. Amen? A really good day. I mean, you don't even know. I remember reading a book uh, by Ted Peters. He's a Lutheran academic in the States, theologian. And he, made, he, he wrote this whole chapter on the anxiety and the fear of death and how it drives people. And I know it's, I think it's good to be fit, right? But there is a really big kind of fitness craze going on. And the thing that ticks over in the back of my head is I just go, I wonder how much of that is actually driven by fear of death. Maybe none. I'm not saying that it is. But I'm a little bit suspicious that it is sometimes. It's like I want to prolong my days as long as I possibly can. And I'm all for living long and living healthy. All right? But the fear of death thing can really drive people to do some crazy things. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Is anyone confused? Yeah, cool. I'll explain that in a minute. All right. Listen. Do you know what the effect of the resurrection is? The effect of the resurrection is that the preaching of the gospel is the power of God and it makes complete sense. True? The good news about the uh, resurrection is that faith in Jesus is the only thing ultimately that makes sense. The good news about the resurrection is that your faith actually does produce massive results. You're free from sin and you'll see those that you love again. And you're not pitiful. None of you are pitiful. True? That's good, right? The second thing. That's just kind of the inverse uh, of what uh, Paul's just talked about if the resurrection hasn't happened. Listen to a couple of things that come out of this section here. You'll rise again when Jesus comes back because Jesus rose. Now, you're sitting there and you're kind of going, oh, that'll be nice. When you're dead, that's really nice. Are you with me? You can kind of just think about it and just go, yeah, that'd be cool. But I'll tell you, when you're sick and when you're dying, the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead and it guarantees your resurrection from the dead because you love him is going to mean so much to you. And for those that you love who have already passed, it means so much to you for that as well. You know, the third thing uh, that, um, that comes out of the resurrection, a huge effect, is that Jesus is on a crusade to destroy every rule and authority that exists out there that is against him. Because everything that's against him, guess what? Is against you. It just is. Now, it's not done yet. He's not finished yet, but he's out there on a crusade to get everything in subjection to him. And at the end, 
You know who's going to reign? Jesus. And it actually says here all the stuff at the end that some of you are kind of going, oh, what does that mean? It basically means this. Jesus got everything in, in sub, into subjection under his Father. God didn't force Jesus into subjection. Jesus got everything into subjection and then Jesus is going to willingly submit. Once his rule is established, he is going to willingly submit to his Father. Why? So that God can be all in all. So he's everything. So he's the only thing that actually matters.